Tis the season to be out hunting, amen? <laughs> uh, there are many, many of you guys are hunters. Uh, spending my teen years in El Paso, Texas, we didn't have a lot to hunt out there. I'm not much of a hunter myself, but we, uh, the only thing really there was to hunt out there was rattlesnake and, and jackrabbits. And uh, we did kill a number of rattlesnakes over the years. And uh, jackrabbits are a lot different than your, your normal fur ball that you, you know, you normally like your little pet rabbits that you have. The, those things, unless people way overfeed them, I mean, the average of those is two to four pounds or so. But a jackrabbit actually can get up to two feet tall and uh, can get up to 10 pounds in weight and can run 45 miles an hour. And uh, so we would have fun going out and chasing those things with the four-wheelers <laughs> and, uh, and hunting jackrabbits. You know, they love to, to sprint across the road when the lights are, when you're running down the road, the lights are shining, they'll sprint and then you can chase them wherever they're going. Uh, jackrabbits don't burrow in the ground like uh, regular rabbits that hide underground. Jackrabbits, uh, they nest on top of the ground. So we would go out and hunt those, but we didn't really do uh, much hunting. There was one young man, though, he was out hunting with his father, and they saw some rabbit tracks. And in the middle of these rabbit tracks, uh, there were some small little pellet-like shaped things. And this little boy asked his dad and says, Dad, what are those? And his dad said, well, them smart pellets. He says, what? He said, yeah, them smart pellets. Try a couple. And the boy, the boy reached down and grabbed a couple and stuck them in his mouth. And, of course, right away just got a real foul look on his face. And he's like, yeah, those are nasty, his dad said. See, you're getting smarter already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if uh, you're a hunter, but I did hear that uh, hunting season here in Maryland, I guess, the gun season starts this coming weekend. Uh, and so in honor of that, I went and got something. <laughs> I went and got a deer. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, went and got this deer for tonight. It's a little skittish. It might, <laughs> it might fall over. But uh, I don't even know, like when you're counting a buck... Is this one, two, three, four? Is it be a four-point buck, or do you count all the all the points all the way across both sides? Oh, wow, that's a lot. That's a big buck right there. <laughs> that rack might be a little disproportionate for the size body of that thing. Uh, but you look at this and you see this thing here, and you're like, "Wow, Pastor, that that's not a real deer," you know. Well, I mean, it kind of resembles one, as antlers like one. You know, I could put some scent on there and make it smell like one. I was going to say it had legs like one, but not really, huh? <laughs> not, not quite. Not quite that, but, you know, it's, it's fake. It's not the real thing. Would you turn your Bibles tonight to 2 Timothy chapter number 3? I want to preach to you a message this evening entitled, Just a Form. This here in front of us, of course, is designed for target practice and that's why it was laid out in the form of what you're going to go out and shoot. This is just a form. Well, we see in the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul here talking to his son in the faith, 
describing to him about those who have what he called a form of godliness. Look at verse number 1 and follow on with me down to verse number 5. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In our text for this evening, the thought is drawn from this verse, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. He's describing here to Timothy those people that have a form of godliness, but aren't truly godly. Beloved, they had become real familiar with looking good, but weren't really good. They were real good at appearing to be all that they should be, but in all actuality, that's not what they were. They had just a form. I would like to preach here this evening for a couple of minutes on this idea. Is it just a form? For you in your life, as you live what we call the Christian life as you portray and others see you or you talk about or you come to church, you participate in the activities that would normally be those that a Christian would be part of. Is it more than a form for you? Or is it just a form of godliness? Are you in fact denying the power that's available to you to live victoriously as a Christian in this world? If we're going to make a difference in the world in which we live, we've got to have more than just a form. If we're going to be tonight what our families need us to be, if we're going to be the husbands that our wives need us to be and the fathers and the mothers that our children need us to be and the kind of Christian that our community, the lost that are dying around us need us to be, then we've got to be more than just a form of a Christian. It's got to be more than that to us. Sure, we can get by just looking good. But the difference we can make with the power that's available to us is astronomical. Beloved, a form is a a likeness of, as we have this likeness of a deer down here. Just something that looks like the real thing. Today, we live in a world of a lot of fake things. (laughs) It's just, you know, a lot of the food we ate, you're wondering, is that actually chicken? (laughs) Or is that some like kind of processed soy or something turned into? I mean, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, we we can uh, view things that are on 3D imagers. And uh, I mean, man, you go to Sight and Sound and, and they have those 3D projectors. And they can project an image in 3D. You're looking at it and in front of you it collapses and falls down and just breaks apart. And it's just amazing. And, and they got 3D printers and they can print uh, similes of or, or you know, uh, shapes of, of all kinds of things. And it can be a form of the real thing but not the real thing. Too many Christians are living as just a form.
Today we, today, we need to have more than just a form of Christianity. We need to live fully and completely in the power that a true Christian life delivers to the saint. We need to have more than just a form of faith. Just more than just a form of our faith. And I won't spend long here, but I want you to understand tonight or answer the question in your heart and mind, do you have saving faith? Do you know that you know that you have eternal life? It is God's plan that his people would know they have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It is God's plan that you know that you have eternal life. It shouldn't be a question. It ought to be a no-so salvation. It ought to be something that's settled in your heart, not, oh, I'm trying real hard. I like what Brother Anthony put on one of his posts this week. He says, we're not trying, we're trusting. He said if somebody was going to try and swim from, I don't remember where he said, let's just say swim across the channel. He said they could try real hard but not make it. Boy, it would be a whole lot better just to trust the ship. Just get onto the ship and trust the ship to bring you from this side to that side. And as Christians, we're not trying to get to heaven. We're trusting in Jesus to get us to heaven. I hope that you have a no-so salvation, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. Last week at Empowered Youth, Anna went forward and knelt down, and the bulk of the message that night was on salvation. I went forward and put my arm on his shoulder and said, Anna, what did you come down for? And he looked at me and I said, would you like to sit down and talk for a few minutes? He said, I would. And we walked into the back room. And I said, you go forward to talk to God about your salvation? He says, I don't even know what to pray. I said, well, Andrew, you, you need to start. You need to know either you're saved or you're lost. Right. You see, Andrew, I don't, I, I don't lead somebody in a prayer of assurance. I'll lead somebody in a sinner's prayer for salvation. But you get assurance through the word of God. If you are saved, by faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, being assured of the truths and the promises that God has given you in his word. You say, okay, I understood. And yes, I did that. Then you need to be convinced of it in your heart and say, I did that. I understood what I was doing. I know that to be true and I trust in it because it's what God said. Or if you're not saved, then you need to pray a sinner's prayer and get saved. I said, Andrew, what do you need to do? He said, I'm lost. I'm lost. And I need to get saved. And he prayed the sinner's prayer and trusted Christ as his Savior that night. The moment he became a son of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, you can't put faith in your works. It's only in Christ. It's not trying, it's trusting. The Apostle Paul tells if, if anybody could glory, if anybody had cause to glory in the flesh or to find some measure of satisfaction in what he accomplished in his flesh, I suppose it would be me, Paul says in Philippians, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man think that he whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, 
blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, all that that I did in my own work meant nothing because of Jesus. Jesus provided salvation for Paul. And if he's going to provide it for Paul, he provides it for you and I. I don't want to motivate or cause someone to doubt here, but I want to take for granted that just because you come through the doors of a church that you're saved. Just because you maybe you've been attending here at Hunt Valley for a long time and you've been carrying your Bible and, and you look like a Christian. We know that doesn't mean that you have saving faith. That you've put your faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. Don't let pride send you to hell. You can get that settled tonight and know for sure that it's more than just a form. That you've got faith in an almighty God who has the power to save. I believe one reason it's so hard for many to live the Christian life is because they never really became Christians to begin with. They're not living in the power of God. They just have a form of godliness. They're just walking around looking like a Christian, but have yet to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'm telling you tonight, it's not your form of godliness that's going to get you to heaven. It's your faith in God. You're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have more than a form of faithfulness as well. In our text, Paul describes those people whose life was anything but holy. He says to him, you need to turn away from that stuff. From all of those things, you need to turn away and not have anything to do with that. You all know that we can put on an act. Oftentimes, many people will adopt a way of life. Maybe a way of dress. Maybe a way of talking. Maybe a way of acting because of who they're hanging around. They, they adopt that because of who they're around. But I wonder if you change the environment for very long at all, would they still be that? Could I ask you tonight, are you who you present yourself to be? Are you who you present yourself to be? Now, positive peer pressure is a good thing. That's a whole lot better than negative peer pressure. And if you're motivated to do right because of who you're around, then praise God, you're hanging around the right people. That's a good thing. But at some point, it ought to become a part of your heart, a part of your life, where you're not just putting on an act, where you're not just portraying a system of belief, but that it is truly part of your life. I wonder if we removed you from the influence of Hunt Valley Baptist Church for a little while, would you still be the same person you are today? Would you still walk around and tell people about Jesus? Would you still carry tracks and be a witness to this lost and dying world? Would you still get up in the morning and read your Bible? Would you still dress and look like a Christian? Would you still listen to the right kind of music? Would you still be saying, praise God? Or would you very quickly adapt conversation, dress styles, and activities of whoever you happen to be around? You see, Christian, it's vitally important that it becomes part of our life, that this is who we are. 
the church encourages and helps us for those days and hours when we're weak. And we need the church and we need that positive peer pressure. But is it more than just a form for you? Are you who you present to the world? Talking about doing what we do as Christians because it's in the book. Not because it's popular with our current realm of influence. Let's obey the book because it's God's word. Let's get into the book. Learn the book. And live the book. Because that's what Christians do. Young people, you carry your Bible and you dress up for church. But I wonder if you're just practicing a form of godliness. All of you under the age of 18 participate in the activities at church. You come in and we have an activity and you all bow your heads and pray for the food. You sit and you listen to the preaching. You practice a song and you get up here as a youth group and you sing a song about, you know, oh, how I love Jesus. and The cross before me and the world behind me. And you, you sing praises to God, dressed and look like those you're around. But I wonder how many of you it's part of your heart. The question is born out of the fact that far too many young people, as soon as they're 19 or 20, it seems as if they never went to church at all. It seems like as if, like, like what happened to all the songs you learned? What happened to all the scripture you memorized in master clubs? What happened to all the principles and the truths that your parents taught you and showed you while you were growing up? You see, for right now, you just have a form of godliness and you're putting it on and you're putting a show on and boy, you, you look pretty good. But you're denying the power that's available to you to live the Christian life. To impact those around you and make a difference in this world. Many look good, but are you good? You know, sometimes... The form becomes more important to us than the actual faith. It's very sad. But we get so caught up on looking right. The form is what becomes so very important. I read a story about an individual, a man who loved God and, and desired to have a time of prayer and devotion in the mornings and so he got alone in his room and he would read some some devotional material and then he would get his bible out and he'd sit down and he'd read some passages of scripture and he'd get down on his knees in his room there and he'd begin to pray and this time became very precious to him he just it just became so sweet and he just enjoyed it so much and that time the the time that he spent began to grow well they had a family cat and the family cat enjoyed him being in there too. He thought he was here spending time with him. You know, cats, it's all about them. <laughs> this cat would come around and the cat would, would crawl up against him and, and, and start purring like crazy. Brrr. 
and just, you know, climbing on him while he's trying to pray. Finally, he just thought, this is too much of a distraction. He took the cat and he took it over to his bedpost and he tied it up and just kind of kept it there. It didn't seem to bother the cat much, but it allowed him to have his quiet time with God and not be too distracted. He did this for many years, and as his family grew, his eldest daughter began to get a passion for the things of God like he did, and wanting to follow in her father's footsteps, she too would have her quiet time in her bedroom, and she brought the habit of tying the family cat up to the bedpost. She would kneel and, and pray and spend time with God and, and, and have the, the cat tied up there at the family bedpost, and her time, of course, Life was a little busier than it was for her dad, so maybe not as passionately, maybe not as long as dad did, but she was still doing it like dad did. As life progressed and got more busy, her son, growing up, wanted to follow in her mom, his mom and grandfather's footsteps, and so he too wanted to have some time with God in the morning. Although life had gotten extremely busy now, you know, just so fast moving, didn't really have time to do all the prayer and the Bible study and all that. So he just tied the cat up to the post every morning as he was getting ready. And this is what happens where the form becomes more important than the actual faith that it was meant to portray. Sometimes we're so busy looking like what we are supposed to be, that we're not actually what we're supposed to be. You know, it's important for our families that we are. It's important for this lost and dying world that we are, that we have the power that's available to us. Modern Christianity is quite literally just a form of godliness. The wishy-washy, easy-believism that is character of many of the churches today might look like the real thing, but it leaves people without any real change. Their lives are just as empty and meaningless as they were before. I think about much of the furniture that's available today looks like wood. You know it's not. Looks like wood. It's, 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 it's just it's got that grain and everything. But if, if you scratch the surface, you're going to find out it's some type of sawdust or maybe even smashed paper. It's not the real thing when you get under the surface. One preacher said this. The world has seen enough of weak-kneed, empty-headed, two-faced, finger-pointing, big-talking, no-walking, wimpy-acting, church-playing, godless-living, non-giving, doubting-pouting, gossiping-spouting Christians. It's high time we live in the power of God and in the life that he intended every believer to enjoy. That's what we're supposed to do. We need to have more, beloved, than just a form of righteousness. The longer I'm saved and the longer I serve God's people, the more I have to face the fact that many, far too many, are just playing church. And I'll tell you what, if we would play church long enough that God would get a hold of our, char- our hearts and make it real, then that's a victory won. The solution is not to get out. The solution is to get in. 
The solution, if you've been playing church, the solution, if you have just a form of godliness, is, is not to just give up and quit and say, well, I can't do it. No, the, the solution is to start living godly and in the power that's available to you. Real and true holiness is very rare today. We've got a form of righteousness, a form of holiness, but denying the power that's available to us. Do you know that according to a study done by one of these research groups that 50% of all Christian men are addicted to pornography? Now, that's 50% that admitted it. That's 50% that were willing to own up to it. I have to believe it's a higher number than that. Beloved, you can't be a real Christian maintaining a powerful, passionate, intimate relationship with God and be watching that stuff. And by the way, a lot of what you see on television is pornography today. I know it's not sold as pornography and I know it's not rated X, but I want you to know that there was a day that Playboy magazine had more modest pictures than your average commercial today. Between the swimsuit ads and Victoria's Secret commercials, they're more scantily clad than the original Playboy magazines were. And that's readily available on every television for your children to see. You can't be consuming that stuff and be maintaining a real, passionate, powerful relationship with God. He calls us to live holy lives. That means we have to draw a line in the sand. We have to shut it off. We have to find a way to get victory. And listen, if you have to get it, tear it out of your house, then do it. I told the young people when we were down there at Empowered Youth, we had an evening Uh, I think it was the night he taught on Joseph and talked about running away. And the idea that you lose your cloaks better than losing your character. You might be a time where you just got to just let something go or you got to cut something off. And I said, you know what? There was one day when I was a a teenager, I got in my brother's truck. And my brother's stereo was gone from the front of his dash. The whole stereo was gone, just wires hanging out right there. And I said, man, did somebody steal your stereo? And Daniel said, no, I couldn't keep from turning it on the wrong thing. As a 17-year-old boy in his own truck, he took his stereo out and threw it away. Because when he got in his truck, the temptation to put it on the wrong thing was too strong. So he knew that to get victory, he's going to have to get it out. Maybe there's something in your life in order to get victory, you got to get it out. Maybe you need to get a dumb phone. Maybe just get one of the track phones, something you can... <laughs> Andrew liked that dumb phone. <laughs> He's down there. He's laughing. He's like, Dad, you told us not to say that. <laughs> get one of those phones that you can't get onto the Internet. You can't get into those things. I'm just saying how important is it to you to be living a holy life? They say, boy, I can't do without it. Most of us here did without it for most of our life. <laughs> I mean, it's just recently that they've really become clever. And I, you know, I mean, sure, it has some conveniences on there, 
But man, Satan can use it to be destroyed in your life too. Satan, you think about how godly Joseph was and Satan sent Potiphar's wife to him. I want you to understand, Satan's going to send the temptation. He's going to do all he can to rob you of the holiness that's available to you if we were living true godly lives. The Bible still says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Beloved, the power of God is available to you, but you might have to cut some things off. Purity is not popular, but it is powerful. In this wicked day, even the mildest amount of pure living stands out like a light on a dark shoreline, like a beacon. We need to be praying daily that God would create in us a clean heart. A clean heart. And He would renew a right spirit in us. Boy, in this wicked world, we've got to be praying that daily. Daily. As you know as well as I do, it doesn't take long to get dirty in this whole world. Don't think that Satan's not going to try and destroy you. Can I tell you a story that I heard a few years ago? This is a story about a young Christian, a Christian young man. Grew up in a, what I would say was a casual Christian home. Not, not, not fully committed, but, but was there, was in church. And actually, through his teen years, this young man was able to live a moral life. He got married to his high school sweetheart, and life was, was great. A few years later, they were giving birth to their first child, and they were so excited about it. And at the hospital, the day came when they were going to deliver the child. And they're at the hospital, and the family's all in the, in the waiting room. And they're all flushed with the excitement of, of the joy of the new baby coming into the world. And they were there, there waiting, anticipating. It seemed like there was a little bit of time. Like, like, why hasn't he brought the baby in? And the doctor came in, and the doctor wasn't carrying the baby. And Dad could tell by a little bit of a look on the doctor's face that something must not be right. And he came in, and... The doctor looked at him and says, oh, you have the sweetest, most beautiful little girl I've ever seen. She's got a body that's just perfectly formed and the tiniest little hands and feet. I mean, just as cute as you could possibly imagine. The dad's looking and says, well, Doc, what's, what's the problem then? And he said, well, you see, the sockets where she should have eyes are empty. She was born without any eyes. And I just wanted you to be prepared when I bring her into you. I want you to know that she's going to live and I want you to know that we can, we can give her a glass eye so she'll have a, something in those sockets. But right now they're just empty sockets and she'll never see. Mom and dad just so disappointed. Asked the doctor, well, what caused this? Why, why in the world? Why, what happened? He said, well, I wasn't going to get into it, but if you... You see, the truth of the matter is, is she's got a rare disease that she had to have contracted from one of you. 
Have either of you ever had cause to contract a sexually transmitted disease? And she quickly spoke up and says, oh, no, no, that, that, no that's impossible. I mean, we're high school sweethearts. We, we, we've, we, the only people we've ever known is each other. And he had to pause and stop her. And he had to say that, well, hon, on the night before we got married, some of my friends threw a party for me. And uh, they, they, brought, they brought a woman of the night to that party. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to do anything at, at all. I mean, after all, I, I mean, it didn't mean anything. And, and she, I mean, you're the one I love and, and you're the one I was going to be with. She was broken. And he was broken. They packaged her little baby girl up and took her home. And over, the, over the next couple of years, every time Dad looked at his little baby girl, he saw the effect of his sin. It wore on him. The story doesn't end there. When the baby girl was about five years old, Dad was sitting in the chair in the living room, and his little girl came up to him and felt her way to him and put her hand on his leg and she kind of looked up at him with those sightless eyes and she says, Daddy, when other girls talk about all they can see, how come I don't know what they mean? She said, Daddy, how, how come other little girls can see their mommy and daddy and, and I can't see my mommy and daddy? He didn't say anything to her. He just got up and he walked into his office and got his 357. Went out behind his house and knelt down by the trash can and took his own life. What I want you to understand, Christian, is we've got to have more than just a form of godliness. It has to be something that is real. Something that will protect you when Satan comes to you in the quiet of the night and wants to tempt you to destroy the purity that you have. Wants to destroy the life that God wants you to have. It's but a moment of sin and yet it cost this man his little girl's sight and ultimately cost him his life. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because we have power available to us if we have more than just a form.